right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode in Career Rockets. I'm really excited about my friend and guest today. It's David Bacon and a little bit of background on him. He was a military brat, the child of a serviceman and moved around quite a bit. He actually attended five different third grade schools in four states in one year. I'm not sure how that's possible. We'd like to know a little bit more about that. I didn't know about this part either. He was a blackjack dealer and a nationally published cartoonist. And he finally settled down uh, and pursued internet sales and marketing. He was at Verizon Wireless leading all digital prepaid sales with record year-over-year results. He moved down to Atlanta to head up testing and optimization at SunTrust on the consumer digital side and is now leading the digital testing and optimization and personalization program for the Intercontinental Group. He has been married for over 20 years and has two teenage daughters. Clearly, this guy knows his stuff, lots of experience. Again, really excited that he's going to drop some knowledge and hopefully change people's career trajectories uh, after they listen to this. So David, thanks. Thanks so much. Going back to the, your background a little bit on the blackjack dealer and national published cartoonist, what made you want to switch to internet sales and marketing? Thank you for letting me participate today. I, I really appreciate it. When I was a cartoonist in college, I was picked up by a couple of um, national publications. There was one for you magazine and a couple of regional ones, but I did most of my work in newspaper cartoons for the the local paper. And really strangely, the fact that I'm in the internet is the same reason I'm not in cartooning anymore since that vehicle to present cartoons is not really that popular anymore. Mm. Mm. Hey, Naoshi, this is Williams. I just want to jump in. Is that the same reason you got out of blackjack dealing? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I needed a second job when I started my career and I loved playing poker and blackjack. And it turned out that Dave and Buster's at one point had a casino and the pit boss for that casino was uh, a former pit boss out in Las Vegas. And he, he trained all of us. Uh, we're all blackjack or excuse me, Las Vegas trained. And I did it for, uh, I don't know, about a year and a half. And it was so much fun. I, I, I actually miss it a little bit. Wow. Well, I, I will definitely not take you up on any offers to uh, play poker. I don't think you have anything to worry about. <laughs> All right. All right. We're going to dive in here. David, how, how many people have you managed? Uh, and this includes direct reports and their teams over your career. Over my career, about 35. I actually started in retail when I got out of college. And uh, we had some fairly large teams that were that were under me, particularly as we brought on temporary in the holidays and things like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's great because you've, you've been able to see a lot of different folks emerge over their careers. In your opinion, what characteristics defined the exceptional players versus those that were not so exceptional? You know, I've always found the most valuable teammates that I've had to borrow a SunTrust term have been those that have very good or very promising leadership skills. Their ability to see the big picture and take into account the overall goal as opposed to their 
sometimes small, sometimes large part of it is really kind of key here. Some of the, the the people that have been on teams around me or on my team at times have mostly focused on what exactly they need to do. And from a manager's perspective, I can tell you that I always appreciated somebody who was willing to look at the big picture and make recommendations to me based on where we were all going as a team. And kind of diving into the big picture component, do you think you could explain, like if someone is listening to this and saying, well, I, I think I have big picture uh, viewpoints, how would you explain that in, in, in terms of when you say big picture and you know, from an analyst standpoint, what were some of those big picture types of moments or thoughts that these people had that stood out? Yeah, and, and great question there, Naoshi. There are times when we are tasked as individual contributors or managers with a particular project or a particular task that some thought's been put into it by somebody, but we have to be able to draw a line between what we're being asked to do mm-hmm. and what the overall goal is. So to give you an example, some of the tests, the digital testing that we have done over the years have resulted in uh, higher performance in the sense we sold more phones or we opened more checking accounts or we booked more rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in some of those, we had things like revenue that went down. And those people that are looking at this going, well, we shouldn't necessarily just say, hey, we increase performance here and ignore the fact that really what we're after is increased revenue. So to circle back to what um, I was mentioning before, those that show good leadership skills ask a great deal of questions, even if they might be uncomfortable about it. So Mm -hmm. I think that's probably uh, one area I've seen quite a bit. Nice. Yeah. I, I agree. And then you, you also mentioned putting the team first or others first. Could you could you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, it, it took me admittedly quite a while to embrace this methodology and this philosophy. It's the sign of an immature leader to simply point and order and expect things to get done long term. What I have found is that you have to find a very good balance between what the company is asking you to do and to be and to manage and being an advocate for your teammates or your direct reports. And I'll give you an example. We have a team right now that we may be being asked to run X number of tests or book this many sales and things like that. You can drive your team to the point where they'll do it. But if your tactics aren't sound, if you're not looking out for what your team needs, if you're not as a team leader being part of that, getting your hands dirty a little bit, then over a period of time, the performance of the team is going to drop. And so what I have found works very well for me is someone who is very eager to jump in and help to manage to the level that my my team 
needs me to manage. For example, some people really want a more prescriptive approach. I need you to do this and this and this and this. But most of the time, I hire talented people. The best thing I can do is give them clear directions and then get out of their way. So that balance right there helps to create an environment where this whole team recognizes success together. And I know that I can't do my job without my team and my team can't do their job without me. David, I think that's a fantastic description of a mature way of managing. One of the first things that you said piqued my interest. You said that it's an, I'm paraphrasing, but it's an immature manager that expects task and results to be the, the output. But over time, you learn more and you learn to be a better manager. How, how did you learn that? What are some of the events or techniques or experiences that helped you make that evolution? Because that's a tough road to walk, I think. It's very definitely, and, and I admittedly was a very poor manager when I started out. I was exactly what I had described as being an immature manager. And I had to fall on my face more than once to figure that out. So I don't mind telling you that you don't, or very few people, I should say, come out of college or, or when they enter the workforce or become a manager are really, really good at it the very, the very first time that they get out. I have found that I'm smart enough to ask how I'm doing, both to my manager and to my direct reports. I have thick skin. I realize that the only way I'm going to get better is to, to know what any issue I have is. And over time, that's gotten to the point where my direct reports are, they're excited to work for me. I have people from other teams asking if they can work on our team in part because of my management style, but also because my experience now has shown me how to build an effective team. Great answer. It's a great answer. Awesome. All right. If we want to get a little bit specific in various categories of people who have just started to mid career to senior career. And I'd love to ask, what is your advice for people just starting out their careers? First, first to like three years in a job, what is the most important advice you can give me? You know, I, I think the biggest shock when I came out of college was in the, the last year and a half in college, we were given case studies to evaluate in the business school and they would take the form of, Hey, you're the CEO of this company and this is the decision you have to make. Here's the problem you have to solve. Here's the money you have to work with. And it was my assignment or a group assignment to go back and, and run this in the way we would given that we were in that role. And we did this for a year and a half. And I came out with a very false understanding of what my responsibilities would be when I first got out of college. I mean, I didn't come out of college and, and immediately ascend to a CEO position. I came out of college and said, hey, it's time to go sell copiers. And uh, that's a very humbling industry to be in. <laughs> So I think what I would tell anybody that's asking about their first few years in the job market is, is look at it as the on-the-job training. You really are starting to understand the industry that you're in, the, the profession that you've chosen, but you're going to learn so much about what your opportunities are in this period of time that 
This is the time to learn. This is the time to start figuring out what you're good at to learn new skills and techniques. It can be brutal, but really look at this as the foundation uh, for what you're going to do a little bit later on. I also add that I would not necessarily um, put a lot of worry in the fact if your first job isn't exactly what you hoped it would be. I would suggest that that is more likely not the case than the case. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's along the lines of William what you what we you talked about in our first Career Rocket podcast and using this time to really figure out what mountain to climb. And I think David, your your point here is that, you know, one, you it's gonna be brutal at times, but then it sounds like patience is also is also necessary. And I don't think that that's changed since, you know, our times or the, the people just starting out in the workforce today. I, I think that's a, a very good uh, assessment, Nalshi. I'm also drawn to your discussion, the lesson you learned that simulation isn't the same as doing it. And I think simulation teaches a lot of great lessons and it's a fantastic way to, to get prepared and to learn a bunch of things. But it's not the same thing, as you said, as selling copiers, which is, that's tough. And the lessons learned there are different. So I appreciate that openness. That's a great takeaway. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the, what I would call the mid-career stage. Let's, let's look at it from like three to six years in, into your career. What would your most important advice be for this range? Yeah, exactly. At this point, you may be on your second or even third job out of school or your since the first job you had. You probably have a pretty good idea of what you're good at. You have a pretty good idea of what you want to pursue a little bit more in depth. And I think at this stage, some decisions are being made about the difference between job breadth and job depth. And I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more. So let's say, for example, you're an analyst you might decide to go in one of a couple of directions. You might say, you know what? I want to learn every way possible to do my job. I want to be the most comprehensively trained person out there. I want to learn this software package and this and this, and I want to go to these seminars. In other words, you're spending your time really diving into a lot of different areas. And the sum of that makes you one of the best analysts out there. And that's great. That's certainly one way to go too. The other one is job depth. And that is where you start going, hmm, I, it may not be important or as important to me to know how to do all of these things, but more important to how do I know how to get it done? In other words, maybe I'm good and I'm a good analyst, but now I want to manage other analysts because the depth of my job is more important. I want to advance a little bit more. I want to organize and lead teams that have those responsibilities and manage those resources. So I think that's really what this stage in your career uh, is going to involve is, is really how focused you are generally and what it, tools you use or actions you take to, to promote that. Mm -hmm. And is, is this more along the lines of 
like an individual contributor path versus starting to look at a management path? I think that's a, a fair comparison. The An individual contributor manages tasks and processes where a manager of people manages results and teams. So regardless of which way somebody wants to go, it's certainly they're going to do exactly what, what's going to make them feel the best and what's going to bring them in the career path that they want. But at some point, you don't necessarily have to be all things to your particular trade in order to start to manage those that can help you get that done. Yeah. Okay. So job breadth versus depth. All right. So if we jump into the senior level, so six plus years, what would be your most important advice at this stage? You know, I I gave this a lot of thought when this question was presented to me and looking back on it today, one thing I wanted to, if I could go back and look at something again, is how do you make a choice that over your entire career, you look back and go, I, I did this right. I had the right mindset. I had the right career path. I did what was best for me. I did what's best for my family. About this period of time, your values, I think, come into play. And let me go into that a little bit more. So if you were to make a list or or anybody, if you were to make a list of those things that are the most important to you, and that could be your family, it could be your career, it could be where you live, it could be any number of things, but it's your values, your particular values. The decisions that you make in your career have to take into account those values that you've set forth. And the reason I bring this up is I know I know some very, very, very talented people who have decided, you know what, I am absolutely happy working from nine to five and going home and seeing my kids and going to soccer games. That's great. And, and they may not make as much money as someone who has decided to really focus their efforts on career growth. On the flip side, I've started to see people who have focused so much on their career that their family units start to break down. Maybe they're traveling too much, or maybe they're just not at home enough. And the relationships suffer both their marital relation and the relationship with their children, those kind of things. So if I could give somebody some advice at this point, write down your values, write down in a stacked order, what's most important to you and live by them. They're not in concrete. You can always change them. Just be true to them. Because when you do that, I think that's the most fair behavior you can give to yourself and everyone around you. Mm. So it gets pretty deep at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And I, I know a woman who is just brilliant in marketing. She's featured in Forbes, but, but now she's really regretting the, the challenges she's having with her kids and her spouse. I don't envy her having to make or having to navigate through that now. So I think 
somebody coming out, you know, in their their senior level portion of this, I think if she had been very true to the values and written them down and, and kind of lived by that, that may have worked out a little bit better. Wow. Well, and what I think is really powerful about that, David, is stopping and writing it down taking a break, being mindful of what you're doing, choosing where you go rather than responding to the, what can be chaotic, perhaps invigorating push and pull of a career is, it's it's really, really sage advice. I'd like to pull at that a little bit. The advice was to stop and write. Any other perspective you might've had, any other best practice, I guess, that you might've seen of people recognizing, yep, it's time for me to sit down and reorder. It's, you know, there's a disturbance in the force. I've got to do it. What are the milestones or the, I, I don't know, what are the stories you can share? Because it's, it's crisp advice, but as you know, as you just described, it, it's hard. I had, I had an acquaintance who told me that he was being asked to travel two weekends a month because he was going coast to coast. And he had gotten to the point where he was starting to miss soccer games, uh, his kids were starting to grow up a little bit. And he finally said, you know what, this is not consistent with what my values are. This is not where I want to be. I don't want to miss out on my children and their lives because I have a job that pays me whatever I'm making. And he, he finally went to his boss and said, look, I'm, I need to make a change here. I'm, I'm more interested in my children growing up and not missing that, then I am maintaining the lifestyle that I have and the career path that I have. How can we work this out? And it, you know, his boss was actually pretty cool about it. He was like, hey, we can work that out. Not a problem. Would you be willing to travel, say, Monday uh, through Wednesday, as opposed to uh, having to leave on Sunday and staying uh, for a day earlier? And, and they managed to work it out. So that's very happy ending kind of story. But I do believe that the nature of business today with tools like Zoom and WebEx, uh, those kind of things, those are tools that can be leveraged perhaps to help out with some of uh, these, to, to make sure that you can align with your values if traveling and, and happens to be one issue that you come across. Hmm. Yeah. My, I mean, to me, like at, at, at this stage and yeah, this could just be my my own self-reflection and thoughts around this is that the biggest thing that you know I struggled with is is around the ego piece of what what does the outside world deem as successful and happiness. And when you've put a ton of your energy and focus into like building your career path, and then you're faced with these decisions of Am I going to take a step back or take a step to the side and let other people who could be your colleagues move ahead in this career path while you are able to focus time with your family and friends or whatever your values are? I think that's the, to me, the just such a difficult place where you have to, like you said, really commit to your values and not be swayed by the outside world of what they're trying to tell you what happiness is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more now, she and, and I was going to add to what you were saying that it becomes very dangerous 
when you start looking at uh, you're comparing your accomplishments with those of your peers to the point where it becomes debilitating in your own, it, it conflicts with your own values. If my values are family first, career second, those kind of things, and somebody else's values are career first, family second, because they are excelling or they've chosen those values and to pursue them in that way, the comparison isn't fair any longer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I have seen where, you know, hey, this person got a promotion and, you know, I'm more talented than that person. Well, let me tell you, if you are working towards your values, what difference does it make? Mm. <laughs> that is, that's, yeah, ideally you can, you can say that it's just, I, I personally, I, I, I would definitely be struggling with that piece. And I know I'm sure a lot of people are too. And it just takes a lot of self work uh, to get to a place where get to a place where like you're talking about. Absolutely. And it's not an easy path to get there. Uh, again, uh, a lot of maturity and a lot of ability to be circumspect about what it is that you want and what those around you depend on you for, you know, once you are at peace with that, then this is the part of your life where work gets a little bit, a little bit more fun and a little bit more organized. Hmm. All right. All right. We're, uh, moving on last category where it's managers and director levels. What is the most important advice you would have for, for this group? You know, and at being at that level for a while now, this is the time when you're typically bringing on a great deal of responsibility, not just from yourself, but you are responsible for perhaps numerous direct reports and what it is that they're producing. You're responsible for the quality of what they're producing. You're responsible for the quantity, the timeliness. I mean, and ask these managers what they do from a, from beginning of November to the end of December. And I'll tell you that most of them are doing performance reviews at that point. <laughs> the administrative part of it is also ramped up quite a bit, but I'd still go back to what I was saying about being maybe six years out. And that is as a manager or a director or a vice president, regardless, you still lead from the front. My advice is to lead from the front, go out there. And, you know, if I tell my team now, Hey, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of bandwidth here. What can I help you with? And that goes a long way into developing teamwork. But all of these things that I'm talking about right now, basically boil down to how do I, how do I take my experiences and help those people that are maybe in their first three to five to seven years? How can I be the person that perhaps I didn't have at this stage in my career? How can I help them move forward? And this is where teaching and empowering and testing really do play a very valuable role in team building. I've given my direct reports projects that have been given to me and we work together on them. I don't ever stop asking what my team recommends, for example, and I push them to ensure that they're giving me what they're, what they believe is the right way to do it. And if, and if, then we talk about it. So in a sense, I'm empowering them with responsibility, both to ensure that they have opportunities moving forward, but also it helps me 
stay very much aligned in their thought process, those are their methodology, and then ultimately their results, which they and I are responsible for. And you, you talk, you focus on leadership and empowering people. If you had to pick one thing that someone should do to start to get into that place of leadership and empowerment versus just like micromanaging, what did you read books or did you have a mentor or how did you get to a place where you're, you've become that front leader and been able to empower people? I've read my share of books, certainly. And some of them are very well written from a good amount of experience, but I, you know, I don't necessarily look back at a particular book and say this one was a life-changing kind Mm -hmm. of publication. I think what I've found is that when you're in the corporate environment, the personality of the people around you, we all talk about teamwork, but, you know, to be perfectly fair, there are, you know, everybody is out there to try to make sure that they do uh, the best job they can. They, they want to get the recognition that they deserve. They want to make more money. They want to grow. They want to feel fulfilled. And sometimes that's inconsistent with what I would consider best practices of leadership. So in this respect, I learned very early on, like I said, after falling on my face a few few times badly, I realized that my success was only possible by the efforts of my team. And there was a great amount of incentive to ensure that they were doing it right, that they were given clear goals and clear methodology, but also asking them how they were going to do it, what they need from me to do it, and then ultimately how we became a better team that way. So I would always encourage people to to take advice of others, read books and things like that, but don't be afraid to turn around and, and ask people, how am I doing? What can I do better? You know, I've asked peers, I've asked subordinates, I've asked managers. I maintain multiple monthly calls with different individuals. I have a personal board of directors that we have a quarterly meeting with, and I, I, I pick them because they're not afraid to call me call me out on something that perhaps I should do differently and to provide encouragement for those things that I am doing because these people have my best interests at heart. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. All right. What are some habits that you've built over the years that you feel have contributed to your success? You know, I, I learned also that those people that were the best leaders asked many, many more questions than I did. They, they guided conversations based on the questions that they've asked. They were not afraid to speak up. I think it's more comfortable to sit back and not ask a question and hope that the answer comes later in the conversation. But I feel just the opposite now. If I don't understand something, I'll, I'll ask about it. And if I feel weird about it, well, whatever. The fact is, is that nobody at this table is going to remember I asked the question in 20 minutes anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great one. And is there, is there an, like one more habit that you've built? Yeah. I, another one is I, I'm very focused on developing a vision and starting from where I want my team to be or where I want to be personally and working backwards. How do I develop a roadmap that helps my team and me get there? 
And uh, clarity here is extremely important, even if it sounds like you're being very granular mm-hmm. and, um, and perhaps looking at things through a microscope. But the more clarity there is, the less opportunity there is to deviate from that vision. Mm-hmm. Understanding also that the vision itself or the methodology to get there is, is not set in stone either. You certainly work on the best information you have, but as you move down this journey, you may find that your path needs to pivot somewhat. Mm. So clarity, boldness, obviously, you're going to find the best leaders are the ones that are willing to think big. And then that methodology that I mentioned. Gotcha. Awesome. And this is one question that I like to ask because I'm always curious. What does what does living abundantly mean to you? Oh, that is a tough question. I'd say my, my career has afforded me a lot of opportunities, but it isn't dominated my life and it hasn't supplanted my values. As I mentioned before, I've identified my values and their priorities. So living abundantly is being rewarded professionally, personally, spiritually, based on these values and how they've shaped my life. Mm. Yeah, this is a, and this is to me, it's, it's very relevant for me in, especially along when we're talking about, you know, career focused aspects is that certain people, like you mentioned, right, might, might categorize or value careers over everything else. And to them, that's what uh, living abundantly could mean to them. But I think it's, it's all dependent on the different values that you have. And to know that someone like you who has had a very successful career and I you know, have full confidence that you're going to continue to have a successful career has been able to live abundantly because of a lot of these different habits and characteristics and strategies that uh, you put into place over your time in your career so that you feel like there's an optimized balance of your career, your personal and spiritual. And so I appreciate you sharing that because I'm always curious as to what abundance means to different people. Naoshi, I'd like to ask a follow-up to that though. Yep. David, has abundant living meant the same thing to you throughout your career or has that changed and evolved? It's certainly changed and evolved. If you asked 22 year old me, what was abundant, it would be being able to pay the rent every month. If you ask me today, what abundance means, it's, it's completely different. It's what, what makes me fulfilled. And that is being rewarded throughout my career, you know, understanding that, I can, I can look back now and say that I have done a great job of being with my family, being with my wife, being able to spend time with my, with them as, as we, as we grew up, so to speak, and that I haven't left my faith behind and that I feel like I've got a good direction going forward. I'm I'm confident in the future for me based on the decisions I've made. Yeah, that's exactly that's uh, a great answer too, right? I mean, this is part of the se- seasoning that happens, and we we all are we all face pressures to warp and whim. So sometimes it, it deforms us, and sometimes we find a way through. And it's a, it's a mark of success, but it takes work. I can hear the work in your voice. I can hear that this is an area of focus. All right, bite season. Let... <laughs> yep. 
I think <laughs> when you say that, I think paprika, but I don't think that's what I meant. <laughs> no, I, come on, my last name is Bacon, so. <laughs> I know. But I didn't think I could say phosphate. I didn't think that would have really worked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wrapping it up with one last question. If there was one thing you would like to tell someone earlier on in their career that you wish someone had told you, what would that be? You know, the, the one thing that I wish somebody had come and told me earlier is, is figure out how to differentiate between noise and what's important. Just there are so many, there's an undertow of things that aren't important. And if you're not very, very careful, you can get drawn into that to the at the expense of what really is important. There, there are several times when I have paid more attention to something that was absolutely worthless to what was going on. Mm. And it dragged me away from those things that were truly important. Mm. Uh, I've since learned to identify what noise is versus what's important. And when I've identified that, I can focus on what's important and put everything else on the back burner. Mm. And how, how would someone like, like a person earlier on in their career, how would they be able to start to differentiate between the noise and what's truly important? Yeah. One question is, is what I'm paying attention right to at the moment critical to what I need to get done? Mm. And if that question is no, it may very well, it may be very likely that it's some type of noise. If, if somebody's being petty, for example, and it's getting in the way of you delivering something, it's more likely noise than it is a, a significant problem that you have to address right now. And it, it does take a bit of constitution to do that, especially early in your career where you're trying to figure out how to develop and, uh, and cultivate these relationships can seem a little bit overwhelming, but over a period of time, identify noise, identify what's important and act accordingly. Awesome. No, that's, that's, that's great advice. And I, I certainly could have used that too, especially earlier on in my career. All right. William, do you have any other thoughts or questions for David? No, thank you very much. Thank you so much for doing it. Yeah. Thanks, David. Yeah. This has been yeah, it's been awesome. And thanks for opening up and you know, sharing your time to, to help people's career, career paths. So again, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Pleasure doing it. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care, guys.